You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Amen, amen. So let's jump straight into it. Today we're going to be talking, continuing under the same theme, um, but talking around meditations for comeback or meditations for prosperity, something like that. The key thing that I've been realizing as I've just been reading the scriptures, and in particular the book of Kings, is that the Lord's standard does not change. You know, when it was bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king, God didn't change his mind and say, you know what, even an okay king I'm okay with. He kept saying, no, you are not like my son David. You are not meeting to that standard. You are like your fathers who are worshipping idols. But he kept he kept, he kept. Even when the whole world was under the drunkenness from the enemy and the whole world had gone rockers and only Noah was the only man, he didn't change and say, maybe let's accommodate this and accommodate that just so we can have a congregation in this time. He instead focused on a single family. You know, the standard of God remains the same. When the prophets had all gone rogue and it was crazy time, only Elijah was the one that was remaining. He didn't say, well, let's change the standard so that we can have more prophets in this particular time. He instead said, no, I'm going to invest in this particular one. That's because the standard and the expectation of God does not change. And we see it over and over again throughout the scriptures. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not changing. There is no changing with him. And his standard does not change. He does not rewrite the word to fit our particular circumstance and our particular time. You know, there's been attempts politically to write a version of the Bible that doesn't have Jesus, but it keeps the principles. Because the time was that Jesus is too, it's too offensive to add that part. But we like the principles. But the Lord does not work like that. He does not edit to suit, to suit our situations. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if he remains the same, it's all the much more critical that we know him. It's all the much more critical that we know his word. So when the year started this year, just in line with kind of knowing him, I just committed to say, I want to actually commit some scriptures, you know, to my mind. But before I get there, I just want to quickly read Joshua 1.8, just in line with this. The book of Joshua 1.8. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. I think we, we like the end, right? We're like we want our way to be prosperous and to have a good success. But here we've actually been given a key. There's a key of Keep this word in your mouth. It should never leave your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything that's written on it. The prosperity is consequential. It's consequential, which means we don't have to chase it. It's a consequence of doing the other three. It actually flows out. But sometimes we obsess over this particular outcome and we miss out on the fact of what is actually saying. So when I kind of started the year uh, this year, um, as I try to do, I guess, in most years, just praying through, you know, along with the 21 days of uh, prayer and fasting, praying through, praying through, trying to find, I know there's this quantum sort of message that's here for us as a church, but what is some specific thing for me as Ruzani? What can I latch on to? What can I stand on throughout the year? And I ended up parking in Psalm 16, so don't tend to it. I ended up parking at Psalm 16, and I spent quite a bit of time just reading Psalm 16, thinking through Psalm 16, and really just eating and chewing, eating and chewing, eating and chewing. And I, after some time, I realized that Psalm 16 had become a very significant part of my life. And, and I would wake up effectively on most days and say, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say of the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. 
Don't put it up. In whom is in whom is all my delight? The sorrows of those who run after another god shall be multiplied. Their drink offering of blood I shall not pour out, nor take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the nighttime also, my heart instructs me. You know, just meditating on it. In the nighttime also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It wasn't doing that. It wasn't eating the word because it's fun. It wasn't eating the word because it's easy. It's because it tells us if this word does not depart from your mouth, if you meditate on it day and night, then you're going to be prosperous. Even if you meditate on the last part, I'm going to be prosperous, I'm going to be prosperous, you go and walk around seven times, you know, the buildings don't fall, you know? Have you done that? Or you apply for a job, you go circle the company, okay, sorry, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay? But that's not the thing. That's not where the blessing is. The blessing is not letting the word depart from your mouth. I've read Psalm 16 maybe over 100 times, if not 200. I've read it almost every single day. I have read every single verse. I've tried to resuscitate it on a regular, regular occurrence. Not for fun. Why? Because it's a key. It's a key. Because these are the meditations that make us prosperous. You have to have a scripture that you're standing on. You can't have faith on the basis of wishes. You can't have faith on the basis of other people's desires. It has to be on the basis of the scriptures. So when you say, I am trusting the Lord for this, it should be okay to say, oh, that's great. Which scripture is backing you? You know? And often we have no scripture. We are standing on nothing. We are standing on just the desire that it would actually be nice to have this. And therefore, my wishes must be honored by God. Is he our genie? Is the Lord not telling us that he is the same? today, yesterday, and forevermore. If it's the same, it's not changing, and his standard is remaining the same, surely to know the standard is to our favor. It is to our favor. But in any case, after just going through, so let's go through this, this scripture one by one. After just going through it, right, from verse one, I started then to just come back. Now you eat every day, you know, one by one, one by one. Let it ruminate, just let it ruminate, let it connect, let it kind of make more and more sense. But in verse one, if you put, put up verse one, it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I trust. So the point here is that when he was saying this, he was not in a good space. He was actually in a space where he was pleading for preservation. He was saying, Lord, please, the situation is rough. Help me, preserve me, protect me, guard me. Why? Because I put my trust in you. You know, the consequence of putting your trust in you means I can come to you and ask you for this other thing. You know, Moses used to make it his claim, because you've shown me this, show me more. You know, it's that kind, of, uh, that kind of feeling. But that's kind of what he says here. Now, because I was standing on this first verse, when the year started, I would say like the, the first six months were tough. Tough, tough year. But I knew everything was happening under the context of preservation. It was happening under the context of protection, regardless of what actually happened. Even if children are sick, it's under preservation. It's not that God has suspended his word in order for this to happen. No, I'm preserved. Under preservation, this is how things are actually happening. So I can actually have a different kind of joy and a different kind of celebration that transcends my actual situation because I know it's happening under this particular context. In other versions, it say, for in you, I put, you know, in you, I find refuge. I like that version as well. This is in you, I find refuge. Just this idea that in the presence of God, that kind of almost this access point, right? Like you can go into the presence and kind of open refuge and find refuge there. 
can live and say joy, you know, and find joy there. There's all these things that are accessible in the presence of God. All of this is happening under the context of the protection of God. So even when COVID was still thriving and doing the most and trending, etc., right? It was under the protection. Amen. There was still a protection. Amen. And when we don't have the scripture, our experience of what we are experiencing is based on what we're experiencing. Whereas when we have a scripture, this tells us what we're experiencing. So children are sick, but you're experiencing the protection of God. Completely different mindset. Let's go to verse 2. He says, what am I saying? Listen, oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And, and you guys are, are biblical scholars, so you know when it's capital Lord, it's Yahweh, right? But yeah, I, I won't get into that because you are, you are biblical scholars. Go back to verse 2, please. Um, and then when you look at the second, the second verse, it almost raises this question. So I'm going through this. I know it's under preservation. I know it's under protection. But what am I saying about God? Am I like the Israelites where I'm issuing complaint after complaint after complaint? Why me? I even attend more services than so-and-so. I haven't even seen them this whole year, but you have blessed them with another car. Right? But here, there's a confession of I'm pleading for preservation because something is going on, but my soul's confession is that you are Lord. You are Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Another version say, I have no good thing apart from you, which means that even if you gave me the thing I'm asking you to preserve me from, but I didn't have you, I would, be, I would have nothing. Even if I actually had the best job, but I didn't have him, I have nothing. Even if I have the best bank account and I didn't have him, I have nothing. Because he is the thing, he is the part that is actually making this whole thing good. Without him, it's flavorless. Without him, it's meaningless. Without him, it's just another you know, way to make the in-between now and hell comfortable. But with him, it actually means more. Because everything will actually pass away. Everything will actually perish. So that's part of that meditation. And that's kind of what I was meant to say, oh, my soul. You know, and it's from the soul. You know, it's just not from my soul. And when it's, when it's not there, it means I have to go and meditate deeper. I have to spend more and more time in the word and get this to actually flow from my soul. That it's not connected to my circumstance. It's connected to a heavenly reality that I want to see come to pass in my own life. Amen. It is from my soul. Let's go to verse 3. In the next verse, it says, the, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Who are the saints? The saints are the people that are actually living in this preservation. They are the people that are actually from their souls. They are saying, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Look at who they are. They are the excellent ones. Like imagine if the excellent ones in Midran were actually saints. Like imagine that at workplaces, at industries, the excellent ones were actually saints. Imagine that. How, how amazing would that be? In other versions, it even talked about the wonderful ones, you know, the holy ones. There's a distinction about the saints because of what they cling to and who they actually hold on to. They're not the same as everyone else. But imagine that reality. How would it be? Every industry, the excellent ones are the saints. But because we don't find the excellent ones as the saints, it's then tempting to find to put all my delight, not in the saints, but in whoever is the top person in that industry. But our delight ought to be in the saints. And also there's something here which also says we need to enjoy the company of Christians. Like we need to enjoy the company of Christians. It's something that's not spoken a lot about, but loving brothers and sisters in Christ is a significant marker of salvation. It's actually very, very significant. I know some of us get so saved and, you know, but Christians are boring. Christians are not fun. Do you want to sin? Like, what do you want that Christians are not compatible? Like, what is that thing? Do you get what I mean? Like, what is, what is the thing that makes Christians so undesirable to actually be around? And that's a thing that ought to actually be interrogated. But the excellent ones, wow, the excellent ones in Midrand, the excellent ones in finance, the excellent ones in technology, the excellent ones in whatever industry are the Christians. Imagine that being our reality. I want to live in that reality. I want to be part of this reality, saints. It's an exciting reality uh, to actually uh, live through. Let's go to verse 6. Look at this. It says, the sorrows of those 
no, sorry, the next verse 4. Don't listen to what I say, just continue in the order. Okay. Okay, the sorrows of those, okay, the sorrows shall be multiplied. If you have ESV, I would prefer it, but this is fine. Okay, the, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offering of blood I will not offer, nor take their names on my lips. That's amazing, right? The sorrows of those who hasten, in other words, who run after other gods. You know, you don't run, you don't just, if, if you got up here and started running, we'll say, hey, is that brother and that, or that sister, are they okay? Can somebody go and check on them, right? Normally you run because there's something that's actually causing you to, to run. Uh, setting aside the fitness running. But this is a, a hastening, right? It's not a fitness running, you know, you don't just get up and start running for, for jogging, right? But this is a hastening. If there's a hastening, this could be propelled by what? By fear. It's a hastening. I've got to run, right? It could be propelled by a need for a shortcut. It's a hastening. I've got to actually run. You know, and there is a temptation there when you are going through something and you are pleading for preservation and someone comes and actually gives a shortcut and say, you just apply this on their chair and things will shift. Oh, you guys have never had this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring such strange things to your ears, you know, but this shortcuts. And we see this shortcut. And some of the shortcuts have become so common. You find posters, you know, see your lover in the mirror. I don't know why you want to see your lover in the mirror. Okay, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, yeah, I think that that's a whole other issue if that is a requirement in one's life. But you see all these things, these shortcuts. This, you can hasten to the outcome if only you run after another God. If only you run after another God. Okay, I'll run after and then repent. No, no, the sorrows shall be multiplied. The outcome of the running after another God is a multiplication of sorrows, which means even those that have run after another God and their things seem to be going right are not our envy. We don't look at them and desire them and say, if only I had listened and gone the same way. We say, oh Lord, my heart aches that it actually looks good, but the sorrows that are multiplying in their lives Oh, Lord, if only I could help them just to be rescued from that situation. We don't look at the car. We don't look at the house. We know there are sorrows. And we know that the ultimate sorrow is separation from God in this world and also in the world to come. We ought not to ever hasten to another God. We ought not ever to allow fear to drive us because we want preservation. We want that protection. We want that rescue to actually allow fear to have us running to places we ought not to run, to places to to prophets that we know oh i mustn't touch okay so okay 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 but we ought not we ought not we must stand on the word of god the word of god is good and sometimes we hasten and say well you know he hasn't proposed yet so we are like okay too far okay i won't go there so we can hasten and just fat and said, okay, no, 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 let me not go there. But let's continue. Let's go to verse 5, okay? In verse 5, it says, Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You maintain my lot. In other words, in another verse, it says, I choose you. Like Jesus, I choose you. In the midst of all the delicacies, of all the delicious things, all the options, you know, when you are choosing portions, it's not at a, you know, it means things are happening, right? There, there is things to actually be chosen. There are contenders that you could actually choose, but you still say, the Lord is my choice. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm not going to run and follow after another God because I want to actually get a shortcut. And sometimes a situation can have us desperate to think the shortcut is actually the best answers, but the sorrow is multiplied. We ought to be here saying, the Lord is my choice. The Lord is my choice. The Lord is my portion. I'm going to choose the Lord, even though the other things look good, even though the other things have been presented well, even though the other things are shining, even though there are testimonies there as well. The Lord is my portion. I'm not choosing anyone else. I'm not running after nobody else. The Lord is my portion. If I'm hastening anywhere, if I'm running anywhere, it is towards the Lord. It is towards the hands of the Lord because that's my refuge, that's my hiding place, that's where my solutions actually come from. And I know that any solution I get that is devoid of Him, that solution is poison to me, it is poison to my soul, it is poison to my spirit, it is sowing into death. That is not the story I'm going to carry, that is not the story. So I can wrestle and battle the temptation of the previous verse and make this choice. But it says portion and it says cup. Cup is often not pleasant, right? 
Normally, when we are talking about cups in the Bible, right, the cup that Jesus had to drink, to drink was not delicious wine. It was an unpleasant experience. Imagine that. Jesus, I'm choosing you for the ups and the downs. I'm choosing you whether it's good or it's bad. I'm choosing you whether they perceive it well or they don't. I'm choosing you whether I become popular or unpopular. I choose you. I choose you. Just, it's not just the fellowship of the good things, the fellowship of the suffering. I take it on as well, as long as it means being with you. you know? And there are no successful marriages where there isn't a period of, I will suffer with you through this. If you say, I'm only going to choose you, I'm only going to marry you through the good times. It's not going to work. It's not going to last. So why would we think a relationship as critical as that and much deeper than a marriage relationship would just be roses and flowers? I guess technically roses are flowers, but, you know, <laughs> English, guys. English is not my mother tongue. But listen to that one. It says, you maintain my lot. Put it up in the NLT. I, I love it in the NLT. Look at what it says in the NLT. It says, the previous verse, please. Verse 5. It says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Listen to that. You got all that is mine. Like imagine existing in that reality. You got all that is mine. So there are certain panics that are just not there anymore because you got all that is mine. So are my children guarded? Are they mine? Yes. You got all that is mine. Is my property guarded? Is it mine? Yes, you got all that is mine. Is my health? It's mine. You got all that is mine. The Lord is looking watchfully over every inch of our lives. He is guarding it. He is looking after it, which means we can stand safe to say, even though this is happening, it's under the context of guarding. It is under the context of protection. It's not that the Lord has taken time off and said, I'm going on holiday. I need to get a bit of slumber. That's why this thing has crept into your life. No, it's happening under the context of you got all that is mine. He got all that is mine. All that is mine, you got it. There isn't a thing that is mine that you don't guard. Even this watch, as cheap as it is, he guards it. That's amazing. Why? Because it's mine. Is it not under all? You got all that is mine. If he's going to guard something as basic as this, how much more? How much more my life? How much more my health? How much more all of those other things? How much more my family? You got all that is mine. That is really exciting for me. You got all that is mine. You got all. Jesus, thank you that you got all that is mine. There isn't any inch of things under the domain of mine that you do not guard, oh God. You got all that is mine. I celebrate you and I love you for it. Wow. You got all that is mine. Wow. I could just say that forever. Verse 6, it says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance, right? In the previous verse as well, it says, um, uh, you know, you, you, if you go to the previous lesson, KK, NKJV, and then we can quickly come back to this one. Just one back, then one forward. It says, you maintain my lot, uh, if you continue. So the lot as well was also almost a, you know, a gambling device, um, lack of better words, right? But this would be a mechanism to determine outcomes, effectively. The lot has said this, therefore that's actually the outcome. Which means that the things that are happening in my life, the things that are happening in your life, nothing is accidental. Yes. It's actually the Lord, that the Lord has guarded carefully and said, this is the thing. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. And of course, there are some things that you, you, know, you can allow by purchasing things to look at lost lovers and mirrors, but we're not you know, tackling that, right? Assuming that you're not allowing anything, right? Assuming that you're actually following him. This is the reality that we get to enjoy. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Wow. But remember, this lines would not have just fallen. It's like, I just got lucky and I found a good space. No, 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 no. He was guarding all that is mine. He was guarding those lots to orchestrate them so that the lines can fall for me in pleasant places. Imagine wherever you find yourself today, you are in your pleasant places. You know, and even spiritually, imagine, wow, we get to actually enjoy him and walk him with him. That's part of the pleasant places that we get to enjoy. It says, yes, I have a good inheritance. In other words, it says, indeed, 
I have a beautiful inheritance. You know, I have a beautiful inheritance. I don't despise where I find myself right now. I don't despise my today. I might not be where I want to be. I don't despise it. I celebrate it. Why? Because the lines today have fallen for me in pleasant places. It's not that they will fall for me in pleasant places after I get a promotion, after I marry the right person, after I have kids, after I have... No, no, no. Today, right now, my reality is that of pleasant places. That's my today. It's not my tomorrow. And sometimes we struggle to actually enjoy what the Lord is doing today because we are too obsessed with the tomorrow he's not even promised us. You know, he's not promised us that. Maybe your tomorrow is that he actually launches you as a missionary to go and win souls, but you had been depressed because you are not yet a C-level executive. Imagine the Lord Today is saying the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, to you in pleasant places, not tomorrow, today. It's a reality. Whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in, it might not be the house that you wanted, not in the address that you wanted, but according to Jesus saying that house, that place, location, 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 you are where you ought to be. That's what I say, because the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So I'm so content about today. I'm so content. You know, it might not be as many kids as I had hoped for, but I'm so content today because the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places today, not tomorrow. They won't be pleasant tomorrow when, you know, my desires are now more fulfilled. It will just remain true that the lines have still fallen for me in pleasant places. The inheritance I have today, it's a good inheritance. I love it. I enjoy it. Let's continue in verse 7. It says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Wow, that's amazing. You know, in the second verse, uh, he was saying, this is what I say to the Lord. Now in this verse, this is now the Lord giving counsel. That's an exchange, right? It's not just me going and crying, Lord, save me, rescue me, and all of that. But there's a, a wisdom. There is a counsel. Like imagine, imagine being able to just go to God and say, well, I'm not here for the fancy prayers today, Lord. I just want some advice. Wow. I just want some advice. This is the situation at work. What are your thoughts, Jesus? What do you actually think? You know? This is the numbers I'm getting. These are the callers I'm receiving. What do you think, Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? That it's not always, I have to, you know, call my BFF and find out what they think. That's my counsel. And then once we have concluded, then we have a prayer point that we lift to the Lord. Imagine missing such a critical dimension of the relationship with him. Friendship is in these moments of counsel. Friendship is in these exchanges. And there's a wisdom that's flowing from him into us. You know, and as it flows into our hearts, as it flows into our minds, our heart is full. And because our heart is full, look at that. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. So when times are dark, my heart talks. It actually talks and says, hey, friend, but Jesus has actually said this. Friend, do you not remember that there's a scripture that says this? Hey, friend, don't you know? The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places today. That's your heart talking because it has had interactions. It has had exchanges with the Lord Almighty. What an amazing thing to just get counsel. Just get like, wow. Sure. Like, you just be amazed. Just go to him and say, hey, Lord, I'm actually not sure, you know, should I stay in this job? Just advise. I'm not praying to say, Lord, I declare and I decree that there will be a doubling of the salary, Right? I'm declaring, I'm, I'm unlocking, you know. Whoever is standing in the way of my blessing in this place, let them be removed. Make way, make space. No, I'm just saying, Lord, what do you think? Like, what do you think about where I am in my career? What are things you think I should actually be doing? And maybe it just gives you counsel that unlocks those things that you've been crying about. That's the Lord, right? Let's continue in, in verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I shall not be shaken. You know, wow, that's actually uh, amazing. I, I choose to actually position the Lord before me. I'm not going and saying, okay, Jesus, are you, are you coming? Are you, are you following? Yes or no? But no, I am setting the Lord always before me. Setting him before me. Which means he's the one that enters the door first. That, it means that even in that job, he's already entered that, that door. Like before your day one induction, he'd already entered. Why? Because he was before me 
It's only if the order is reversed that I'm always first and then now I have to, to plead and pray and say, Jesus, come, you know, it's a rough year, come, rescue. But if the order is right and I set the Lord before me, then I know I can enjoy some things and some realities. And one of those is just not being shaken. Like sometimes you just get so shaken, you know, by, by some small things. You just get an email and you're shaken, you know. Just an email, shaken completely. But it says, no, I shall not be shaken. I shall not be moved because I'm standing strong on the word of God. I am standing with him. He is at my right hand. I am standing with him. That's the reality that I get to enjoy. Let's go to verse 9. In verse 9 it says, Therefore, wow, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices or my whole being. Okay, my flesh also rests in hope. That's actually amazing. That my flesh rests in hope. Like that's like even if you don't know what that means, it's just you know, like you just know there's power there. My flesh rests in hope. Like that's the default sitting position, resting in hope. You know, and we know we've been born again into a living hope. So our hope is not like the hope of the world. So there is a resting and a sitting in hope that we get to enjoy that no one else in the world actually gets to enjoy or even get to know. My, oh, it's amazing. But look at this. My heart is glad. My glory rejoices or my whole being rejoices and my flesh. It's almost like by just doing this, every area of my life is actually changed. Like there's an impact into the status of joy in my heart. There's an impact into the status of joy in my whole being. There's an impact into the status of joy in my flesh. Everything actually changes. And when you look at what I actually, what did I do? Like what are the things that actually preceded this reality? Because this is a therefore. A therefore is consequential. So even if you confess, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, this doesn't mean you get it. Because it's a therefore. It's a consequential reality of the things that actually preceded. But if you look at the things that actually preceded, uh, it, it actually speaks about how I delightfully come to the Lord. Right? I delightfully come to the Lord and say, you are my refuge. You know, you are my, my hiding place. And I have this soul deep acknowledgement that is Lord. So there's a lordship reality that I actually embrace and I hold on to at that particular point in time. And as I do that, notice there's been some changes that have taken place here. Is that one is that I'm protected, I'm made excellent, um, I, I am made excellent, I am delighted, I'm, 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 I'm glad, right? I'm happy. I'm also future-proofed, you know, kind of lack of a better, better word because it's guarded. Like everything is actually guarded. Everything is under the protection of God and I'm unshakable. Like, why wouldn't I be happy? Uh, why wouldn't I have this glad heart if by just going to the Lord, by just going to him and saying, Lord, I'm here for refuge because I trust you. You are my Lord. You are my king. And it's a confession from my soul. You are the one that I cling to. I'm not going to run to anyone else for solutions. I'm staying here. You are my choice. You are my chosen portion. You are my cup. You hold my lot. I confess that I, my reality is what I live it. And then he changes me. Why wouldn't I be glad? This becomes consequential. So I don't have to go and chase gladness. I don't have to go and chase happiness. I don't have to go and chase these things that are circumstantial of a reality that actually precedes them. I can actually just enjoy them as the reality of today. Amen? And look at your, the worst case in verse 10. The worst case in verse 10 is that you will not leave my soul in shore, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Let me just put it up in the message as well, just so we can see what the worst case is in the message. Do you have the message? You don't have the message. Okay, let me open it in the message here. First, turn in the message. He says, I'm happy from the inside out. That's the previous one. And from the outside in. I'm firmly formed. Listen to this. It says, you cancel my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. Like imagine, like if nothing else happens, my ticket to hell is actually canceled. It's not my destination. 
Like that's incredible. That alone is enough reason to actually be glad. In fact, when Peter exhorts them about joy, he doesn't put it on the basis of all of these things that are available. He actually puts it on the basis of being born again, on the basis of being born into this living hope. He says that's the basis of joy. That's why you can be glad. That's why you can actually walk a life that is actually full of joy. It's not about what is happening. And in fact, he was writing to a people that were suffering, who were people who were being persecuted, but were saying, wow, you guys can enjoy so much joy. And it almost sounds like an insult, right? There's actually um, one, uh, I just can't remember the title of the, um, of the book, but in this title, it was kind of documenting the 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 christian spiritual progression of south africa from kind of apartheid into uh into democracy and there was one um sort of bishop at that stage and he made a sermon that even today when you hear it you just feel like i must just be offended i don't even know why but i must just be offended but he says to the black nation at that particular point in time when you go to heaven the lord is going to make you account for the salvation of the Afrikaner. What did you do with that gospel towards them? I mean, imagine you can say, well, I mean, they're persecuting us, Jesus. Like, surely you understood the situation. But he was saying, no. The salvation of the Afrikaner. Like, imagine, at that kind of state, right? That's because the reality to live from is not the reality that you experience physically. It's not what we experience physically. This physical stuff will keep changing. Jobs will change. Maybe you'll have 10, 20 jobs in a lifetime. You know, things will just keep changing. So I can't actually build on a job. Can't build on that. Can't build on the kids. Today they are small and cute. Tomorrow they're breaking everything. Tomorrow they move to wherever. Then they are married, they're gone. So you actually can't build on them either, right? Like you have to build on Jesus. You have to build on that reality. And the only way that one could challenge an oppressed people to share the gospel with their oppressors is if he knew there was a higher reality to live from that transcends the present day oppression. And we are not even living in an oppression. We are living in a relative, you know, sort of freedom. So there is so much that we can actually enjoy. And of course, this reality also points to Jesus Right? Because when Peter preached about it, he says, hey, this is a Jesus reality because we know David actually died and was buried. His grave is at that particular address, but there's this other descendant of him, this other king who has come from that line, and that king is different. That king did not experience this at all. But your worst case, the worst case, the wow. I say, well, you canceled my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. It's canceled. It was booked, right? When you, one is living life and you know, doing whatever, the ticket is booked, the confirmation is there, the check-in is done, and Jesus canceled the ticket. Canceled the ticket completely. That's absolutely incredible. Now, let's read the final verse. It says, You show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is consequential. It's consequential. Remember, there's a big story that comes before this. But this verse we love. We quote it, say it back and forth, but do we even know what came before? Like, do we even know what precedes it? What is the thing that unlocks this reality? But this is his promise. He says, I'm going to show you this path of life, and there's this presence. And in my presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And remember, he was actually coming in with a cry of preservation. Preserve me. The situation is rough. He's now in the presence. I'm here in your presence to actually take refuge. And in that same presence, in that same circumstance, nothing had changed. The only thing is that now he was in the presence. There was a joy that was released before the circumstance. So he was able to praise, to worship, to dance, to be undignified, to do all of that, regardless of the circumstance, because he was living from a presence. Amen? Living from a presence. And you can see that there's a, you will show me the path of life. So there's a revelation that the Lord releases as we interact with him about this path of life, this path of life. It is the enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if I audit my life and I just see theft, destruction, uh, you know, and death, whose hand is active in my life? 
but it says that Jesus actually comes so that we might have a rich and satisfying life. That's the life. But it says, I'm going to show you the path of life. Like, how do you actually get to enjoy that rich and satisfying life? There is a path of life that needs to be revealed as we actually interact with him. As we actually take his word and say, I will not allow it to depart from my mouth. I will not allow it. I'm going to meditate on it day and night because I know the path of life is going to be revealed. The path to that prosperity is going to be revealed. The path to that victory is going to be revealed. Whatever it is that I've been crying for, it's going to actually be revealed in a different way. Maybe I thought, well, my financial situation, I'll just go and put my ATM pin number one day and my bank balance has doubled. But maybe the Lord is not even thinking like that at all. He's just saying there is a path I'm going to show you that you have not seen before. And maybe that path is that you actually end up doing something that's not been done that generates so much value that everything that you have been crying for to appear miraculously appears through a very different sustainable way that changes not only your life but generations. Because there is a path uh, to this life. And as we are walking that path, look at that. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It's a path paved with joy. You know, the whole path, when you look at the left, there's joy. When you look at the right, there is joy. You know, sometimes I make different mistakes between left and right. So if I got it wrong, don't judge me. Uh, you know, not everyone went to ECD centers and all of that. But anyway, you know, everywhere, we walk on a path that is paved with joy. Like joy is one of our most consistent realities. So, what have, what have we vested to, right? The sorrows of those who run after another God. The other God is not always the Buddha, idol, you know? It can just be the thing that we are not allowing the Lord's reality to be fulfilled in our lives. I will not have joy until I. Jesus, unless you do this, I might as well, I might as well just die. Those are idols that we are running to. They are subtle, but they are idols because we want the shortcuts. We don't want that interaction and that building that he actually does with us. He's taking us through the stairs to the top because indeed, right, we are the head and not the tail. So there is a reality that we are actually marching towards. But in that entire staircase, we might feel tired, we might feel weary, we might feel like it tarries, but there is a joy that we can tap into here, a joy that comes from his presence by just tapping into the presence. And I say this, having had a difficult year, difficult year, kids sick in and out, right? Most of the, you know when you are paying school fees, and you have not, this person has not marked attendance register for, the, for six months, but you've paid, you, you know, and you know the school fees doesn't pause. They don't say, okay, and it's a Christian school. They say, okay, let's extend some grace to cover you. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, you can mark the attendance register once, right? But you still, so there isn't a pleasure in that, but there is a greater joy that we can cling to. A greater joy, regardless of the situation. That job might have tarried, might have applied, you know, rejection, 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 rejection. You don't even know what is wrong with me and all of that. And there are these self-doubt questions that actually come. But there's a path of joy towards that thing that the Lord is taking you to. And if the context is that I'm protected, I'm preserved, everything that is mine is actually guarded, then that path and that journey is very different. You know, I have tried, you know, I've met this person and that person, but it's not happening. You know, I'm eager for this relationship, etc., etc. But there's a presence where there is fullness of joy today. It's not the joy after something happens. It's the joy today. We should not delay our joy after some idol comes in, into our lives. And every good thing can become an idol when misplaced. Amen? And it says there, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is interesting because now it says, wait, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. But I thought earlier he said, I thought he was at my right hand and therefore I'm not shaken. How can I be at his right hand and he's at my right hand? It's not possible, right? Yeah, yeah. The only way it's possible is if we build a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus. A face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus where there is interactions there is an exchange. Only in that context are we both in each other's right hands. 
So maybe there are things we don't enjoy as we should. Maybe I'm, not, I'm unshakable, but I know no pleasures because I have focused on my right hand. Maybe I know these pleasures, but I just keep shaking. Right? Because he's not at my right hand. So there is a reality here where we stand face to face. We actually once had a conference many years ago uh, at uh, SCF. So face to face with the Shekinah glory. Yeah? We can live face to face with the Shekinah glory. That can be our reality. That can be our truth. And you know, when we are face to face and we put him before us, our interactions with the world changes. Our interactions with circumstances changes. Our interactions with Christians changes. Everything changes. Because we begin to look at things through his eyes, through his words, through his leading, through what he's actually doing. You know, and the point here is that when the year started for me, which I do um, with different scriptures is here, is that I committed to say, this scripture is going to be me, I'm gonna, it's going to be me, you know. I'm going to eat the scripture. And it meant reading it over hundreds of times. It meant saying it multiple times. On the drive to work, I'm there, preserve me, oh God, you know. I'm there trying to remember, like, oh, you know, it's wrong. Over and over and over and over again. I'm able to say it today, not because I kind of just spent the, the weekend making sure, okay, and I have a really good memory. It's not the case. My memory is not that great. But it's more that I've been interacting but these are the meditations that are going to lead us into victory. They're going to lead us into prosperity. They're going to lead us to our comeback. So since when you commit to something that you're going to stand on, that's more than the things that are actually going to pass away, to something that is actually more, to a scripture. Like can we actually come and say, hey, this is the scripture you are standing on. We don't even know what you're trusting for. We just know this is what you're standing on. Every reality you experience is experienced through that particular scripture. How amazing would that be? So in closing, what am I saying? One, I've already said it. Always have a word you're standing on. Don't be wordless. Don't have any area where there is faith, faith, right? But there's no word to actually back it. That's, that's just leading to disappointment. Two, like, let's have an attitude where we never allow the word to leave our mouth. Like, let's make the word proceeding from our mouth to actually be a common thing. And three, build a personal culture of meditation on the word of God. Don't just know the verse, right? Like we've quoted verse 11 so much to proclaim it, to say, I, declare, I take it right now but it's a consequential scripture. It's consequential. It's an outcome. So we ought to actually give ourselves to actually meditating, not on verses, but on passages of scriptures, right? On, 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 on things like that. Um, and then the path ahead will actually be prosperous. And I have to say that there are experiences that I have heard this year where I felt like anxiety is the most natural part. And as I feel that anxiety coming, and it's like creeping closer and closer. I say, preserve me, oh God. For in you, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the holy ones in whom is all my delight. I profess it, I proclaim it. I forget well, that there was even an anxious thought that was actually there. When you can't sleep and you're just troubled, many thoughts coming in, you know, how will we pay this month? How will we balance things? What do we choose to drop? And all those thoughts are actually overwhelming. And you go on. Preserve me, O oh Lord. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall be multiplied. Their drink offering of blood I shall not pour out, nor take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my Lord. You guard all that is mine. 
Oh, you got all that is mine. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When you feel like that situation is tearing, I have been praying and I have been praying. It just seems like it's not coming. Discouragement feels like the most natural thing at that point in time. Maybe I should actually just give up. Maybe this Jesus thing only works for others. Maybe you need to be up here singing for this, for this Jesus thing to actually work. And those are the thoughts that are plaguing you and you feel troubled. You say, whoa, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I refuse to be shaken. Oh, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Even my flesh dwells securely. My flesh dwells securely. And when you feel like, absolutely, this is going to be the death of me. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can be dramatic. You know, this is going to be the, this is going to finish me completely. When you feel that drama rising up, rising up, you say, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption, but you show me the parts of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and yet your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because you are not standing on the circumstance, you are not standing on wishes, you are not standing on what other people have said, you are not standing on what other people believe about you, but you are standing on the Word of God, which means no matter how the enemy comes my standing still remains because i am standing on the sure word whether the rains come or the storms come or the winds come my house is not falling my house is not falling it remains standing because it is built on the rock that's the reality that i get to enjoy can we just stand and just pray for that let's ask the lord and say lord i want to stand and build on the right thing i don't want to build on anything else that is not safe ground. I refuse to build on sand, but I choose to build on your sure ground. Yeah, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I am not, oh God, I am not going to build on wishes. I am not going to build on reputation. I am not going to build where I think the trajectory of my life is going. I am not going to build on my smarts, on my intelligence. I am not going to build on my emotional EQ and all of these things, oh Father. I am going to build on your very word in the name of Jesus as I stand as I step oh father I am standing on the word of God I am standing on this reality every step every step is a confession every step is an outworking is an outworking in the name of Jesus of the reality that I'm standing on you oh Jesus you oh Lord do not change you remain the same yesterday today and forevermore which means oh father your word is sure your word is trusted you trustable it's dependable it has been proven to be true oh god many have trusted on it and have seen it there are testimonies that this word of yours is eternally true and more than that you tell it to us oh god i pray oh father lord that in the name of jesus that we will be those that are counted amongst the people who build on the word who build on the word who build with the word in the name of jesus oh god a kingdom people oh god a kingdom people in the name of jesus not a kingdom people because there's convenient situations not a kingdom people because because life is going well but a kingdom people because we love Jesus because we love Jesus we have a soul confession a soul confession that you are my Lord you are my Lord I have no good apart from you if I gain the world but I lose my soul that is of no value in the name of Jesus but the intention the intention the desire the goal the goal is to hold on to you my exceedingly great reward it is to live for you it is to walk with you it is to enjoy you in the mighty name of Jesus it is not the things that you come with it is not the rewards it is not the blessings it is not those things oh Jesus it is you it is you it is you oh Lord we pray your oh father that you would teach us to be a presence people you would teach us to be a presence people that as we walk with you we are able to walk into the door of refuge when we need it. We are able to walk into the door of joy when we need it. We are able to walk into the door of strengthening when we need it. We are able to walk into the door of provision when we need it because of presence realities, not because of a self-dependence, not because of anything, oh Father, but because of a presence reality. If you, oh Jesus, look after the beds, you look after the flowers, how much more, how much more 
Oh Lord, that we might be a people that enjoy the how much more reality. The how much more reality. That we are not worried and obsessing over what we will eat, over what we will wear, and any of those things, oh God. Not the things that are perishing with this world. Those are not our concerns, oh God. Those are not our obsessions, oh God. Our obsession is only one. It is only one to know you and to make you known. To live for you. To live with you. Oh Lord, that is our obsession, oh God. To go deeper in you. To have a face-to-face relationship with you. To proclaim, to proclaim your goodness. Not because we read it somewhere, but because we live it, we enjoy it, it is our truth, oh God. To be a people that say we have tasted, we have seen that the Lord is good, that the Lord is good, that that is what we have tasted and seen. Oh Lord, to be a people that have a life, to have people that have a life and the reality, oh God, that transcends our physical realities, oh God. Suffering does not determine our joy. Suffering does not determine our peace. Sickness does not determine it in the name of Jesus. It is your presence that actually determines it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we walk with you, that you do not leave us as orphans, but you walk with us. You take us by the hand into everything that Jesus has said, into everything the Father has promised. Oh, the promised realities are ours. The promised realities are ours. The promised realities are ours. That promise of peace is ours. That promise of provision is ours. That promise of an abundant life is ours. That rich and satisfying life is ours. In the name of Jesus, oh God. Destruction is not our portion. Death is not our portion. Death is not our portion. Theft is not our portion. That's not our truth in the name of Jesus, oh God. Our case is different. Our case is different. Oh, Jesus, thank you that we get to enjoy you, Lord. Thank you that we get to enjoy you. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Thank you. That as we refuse for your word to leave our mouth, as we meditate on it day and night, as we remain careful to do everything that is written in it, our prosperity is sure. Our prosperity is sure. Our exit from this circumstance is sure. Oh, our comeback is sure. It is sure. Our victory is sure. Oh, Lord, because your word remains true forever, and ever everything else will pass away but this word is gonna remain oh what a good and a kind God we love you so much oh father we honor you and we lift you on high in the mighty name of Jesus amen 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 So, so if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, your sorrows are being multiplied. That's the reality. It might not feel like it today, but that's what the word tells us. Those who run after another God, their sorrows shall be multiplied. This is a law. It's a reality. You might not feel it today. might not feel it tomorrow. But this is the reality that is working out. And the penultimate of all of that is an eternal separation from God. We said our ticket to hell has been cancelled. If you don't know Jesus, your ticket is still active. Satan has already checked you in online. They're just waiting for you to board. But that ticket is active. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you raise your hand, I'll pray with you. And even if you're online, do reach out to us. Our details should be running through the screen. So is there anybody like that that does not know Jesus and you want to give your life to Jesus? I don't see any hands. Awesome. 
let's do take this word to our communities. Let's take it to our families. Because as cute as they look, their sorrows are being multiplied. Their ticket to hell is active. It's active. They expect it. There's a seat number reserved. But we can bring a message of consolation. We can bring a message of consolation to say something different happened on the cross of Calvary. And there's been a mass cancellation. This flight that you are supposed to be on, it's cancelled. It's not going today. There's a different flight that takes you elsewhere. Amen. Amen. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.